Great Almond Brothers Stong, Stormy Monday. Little storm clouds out there, Dan Nathan. Not in the market today. By the way, it's Monday, October 3rd. October the symbol. We'll talk about that on CME Day. But the symbol is not a V like this because sometimes when you write a V quickly, it looks like a U. No, Dan, it's an upside-down V like this. But we'll talk about that later in the week. I'm Guy Adami, Dan Nathan there. Market call, 30 minutes on the clock. Carter Braxton Worth patiently Waiting in the wings. I don't know what that means, but he's doing it. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. We are powered by Open Exchange. I'm powered by a New York football giants squad that has gotten off to a three and one start, Dan. And if you do the math, if you go three and one every four weeks, you're a 12 win, if not a 13 win team in the National yeah. Football League, which theoretically should get you into playoffs. Yeah, well, and, you know, you are in the lowly NFC East, so you really only have to worry about those Eagles of Philadelphia, it looks like, at this point here, Guy Dami. All right, let's talk about this thing, man. We are we are in it. I mean, today yeah. is one of those days that, I don't know about you, but I spent, you know, the weekend checking in on, on just the news flow on the Twitter. I always find it interesting to see what's trending all weekend long, at least in my feed, again, the, the thing that that the algo sends my way was about European banks that are going to collapse. It was all these smart people who are hiding behind fake names on Twitter saying how it reminded them of 2008. I mean, this was going on and on and on. And if you didn't know any better, right, you might think that we were going to open down limit mm-hmm. Monday morning because the financial world as we know it is falling apart. And I do think it's interesting that, you know, again, and I think this is for some of those people who don't stare at their fact set machines all day long, like you and I have been doing, you for 40 years, me for 25. Yeah, you saw what I did there. You know, it doesn't always happen the way in which you think it's going to happen, come unravel, that sort of thing. And we talk all the time on Market Call or on the tape, like pressing lows is a really tough trade. Sometimes you got to let a little pressure come off of it, right, on the short side, and then you get back into some things. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's interesting. Typically, the old guy, Adami, would have been said, yeah, here's another 500 down Dow day on Monday. But I've learned over the years that the market will interpret this as like, wait a second, our Federal Reserve can't be hiking in this environment. So they take bad news and turn it into good news for the market. And listen, all things being equal, the market obviously has sold off for a week straight. You can make an argument that we're in these oversold conditions. And to your point, you got to let a little air out of the ball. But We'll see how this day winds up because that news isn't going away. And personally, I don't think it's going to cause this Fed to do a pivot, but we'll see how it shakes out. Well, it's interesting that you say what it will cause the Fed to do or not, or, or what you speculate. And, you know, the one thing that you and I have become very accustomed, you know, over the years is that when there is some perceived systemic risk in the financial system, you know, the playbook, at least in the last 20 years, has been for, you know, central banks in general to at least talk very dovishly and then maybe even act as such. And people forget that, you know, some of the like, you know, 07, the summer of 07, there were like, you know, you know, there were hints of a financial crisis, right? And you remember some of the volatility that we saw in August of that year and the Fed, they, they lowered the discount rate, mm-hmm. right? This is not something they did with the with the Fed funds rate, but that was a precursor to what was going to happen, you know, starting in, you know, mid or early 08. So again, you know, history rhymes. It does not always repeat, but we, you know, and we also didn't have Twitter trending, you know, like things last. I mean, it was just amazing that all, all weekend long, I saw Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse, and Lehman Brothers trending guy. Yeah, and they're making that connection. And you could understand why people would do that. And again, 
the whole systemic risk, and you hear, you're going to hear a lot of that word over the next week yeah. or so on CNBC, whatever broadcast feed you listen or watch. And it's true. I mean, you have to talk about that because, quite frankly, there's always that possibility. Personally, I don't think there's really that concern, at least for our banks here, which are as well capitalized as they've ever been. So I don't think that's an overreaching concern. But listen, when you're talking about a name like Deutsche Bank, and we've talked about this for years, the largest derivative books in the history of mankind, there's some concern there. And you also have to wonder or be concerned about what does it mean to some sovereigns out there that might have exposure. So we're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. But for today, at least, or for the first you know five or six hours of the day, we're seeing a bit of a relief rally. Yeah. It's one of the things that's also interesting, and you and I have been saying this, that until strategists or until some economists you know, who've had a pretty rosy view and they were willing to kind of take mm. the other side of all the bearishness, until they kind of throw in the towel a little bit, you know, you really don't get a really a good setup for a bounce that place, right? Because again, you know, if everyone's defending the whole way down and the market action is doing one thing, it will take a reverse of that kind of sentiment, in my opinion. So you know, this could be just, you know, nicely timed with the fact that we're fairly oversold. I let Carter speak to that when he comes in in a couple minutes. He made a great point on fast money. If you just pull up the S&P 500 chart here, he basically said, you know, you're going to hear a lot of people use a term like oversold. And to his point, he was saying, listen, we're at the same spot we were three months ago. I don't Mm -hmm. see that as oversold. I see that as somewhat of a kind of really weak setup. And I agree with him there. But to the point, here we are, you know, today, Today's nearly 2% rally in the S&P. Guy, it looks like a tick on this chart that's down 17% since mid-August. Yeah, and it's important. To, listen, Carter, and you're spot on for saying that. It's all about your time frame, right? I mean, we're oversold in the context of the last couple of weeks. Are we oversold in the context of the last six or seven months? No, not at all. To your point, we're right back where we were on June 16th or thereabouts. So if you go back to the prior slide, toggle back for you bingo players, it's really interesting Now, I would submit this is actually a good thing because you're starting to see strategists and economists start to acquiesce and sort of throw in the towel, to your point. By the way, Rocky should not have thrown in the towel for Apollo Creed against what's his name the Dolph Lundgren Ivan the Drago big, because the, the big Russian yeah because you know quite frankly I don't think Carl Weathers could have lived with himself if he had known the tower so but that's probably for another show we won't get into it with that said this is a good thing but people will say well they're going to define the bottom as well no not necessarily this is just sort of one of the first couple steps we need to see in order to make a bottom but there are more steps and Marco Kalanovic from JP Morgan I mean, look, he's been as bullish as anybody. The fact that he's becoming concerned, I think, is another good sign. Don't even get me started on what the difference between Tina and Tara is. <laughs> I only know about Tara is it was the house that they lived in and gone with the wind. By the way, I was at the premiere and gone with the wind. I think it was 1939, eight or nine. Yeah, yeah, no, it must have been amazing. You eating your milk duds back then and your, your fountain-drawn soda. That must have been fun too, Guy Adami. All right. Listen, the Nasdaq, you know, it looks very similar to that S&P 500, but it's down, you know, nearly 31, 32% or so. And again, you know, we bring the Nasdaq 100 up here because, you know, those top five or six names, and we're going to hit one of them that's breaking today here. And I think very importantly, you know, they really are in the hands of those handful of stocks here. And it doesn't act particularly well down 20 some percent from that mid-August high. No, it listen, very similar chart. But again, you know, everything changed. I'm not trying to be revisionist here, but it all changed back in November and the moving averages started to roll over. Then you had a crossing of the moving average, right? You had the 50 cross the 200 day. We talked about that at the time. You got a little bit of a subsequent bounce, but then the market broke down and nothing has really 
fixed itself. Nothing's corrected itself. The moving averages are still trending lower. And until that abates, I think rallies need to be sold. Now, this is a logical place to pause and maybe bounce from. And listen, maybe we get a couple more percent to the upside. Listen, I thought that last week as well. I thought that one and a half percent rally we saw, I think on Monday or Tuesday, I thought that would be led by another three, four percent. Obviously, that didn't happen. So I think what you're seeing is rallies are more quickly sold than maybe they've they've been in the last 10 years or so, which again, painful now, but I think it's a precursor to sort of, again, putting in a bottom, one of those things you need in order to see a potentially a tradable bottom. Yeah, you know, and I'll just say with the NDX, I mean, we were talking about it just like literally a week and a half ago, it was trading 12,000 and then that logical next stop was right around that mm-hmm. 10,000, which was the the June low here. So might this thing have some legs up to 12,000? The one thing I'll just mention though, guys, that again, this is the start of the month. We're not going to have earnings really starting for another two, two and a half weeks or so. Might we see some negative pre-announcements? Well, and I'm going to stop you there because one of the things you said last week is you would not it would not surprise you to see apple come out with some sort of a warning again i'm not don't please don't at me i'm not i don't particularly care one way or another but you know given some of the rhetoric we've heard around it given the way the stock has traded recently stands to reason that maybe we'll see something out of apple again another sign you need to see in order you know all these things are sort of you know just check the boxes all these things happen hasn't happened yet but that's something you should be on the lookout for for sure yeah and i think a big part of why maybe we're having a little kind of air come out of this thing right now at least you know just kind of having a little bit of a relief rally and why it might be able to continue for a few more percent or so is that the the moving yields has been just astounding Mm -hmm. i mean the 10-year u.s treasury yield topped out above four percent i think it ticked 401 just a few trading days ago guy and here we are you know just getting slammed down here i see it at three six three right here as we speak and when you just think about that from just the standpoint of you know you've been talking about how broken you think the whole mechanism is it should be this very liquid market and for all intents and purposes it is pretty liquid you know i mean it's just the the magnitude of the moves are kind of staggering and so if we were to see this thing come down to you know maybe that 50-day moving average is somewhere 315 i don't know three and a half seems like the next really target here what, what does that mean for equities and what does it mean actually is it more of a reflection on growth and some of the concerns that some investors might have about what the Fed's hawkish stance has actually done to the economy. The knee-jerk will be people interpret that as bullish for whatever reason, but quite frankly, it's anything but bullish because yields moving lower in this environment suggests that the economy is not nearly as strong as people hoped it would be at this point, and it speaks to slowing growth. So again, everybody wants to look at the stock market, and the only, the only impact they see having meaningful impact is the Federal Reserve. But no, that's not right. That's obviously one component. The other components are earnings and earnings growth. And basically, what type of growth are we seeing? And what are you willing to pay for it? And we're not in that environment right now. So lower yields, which by the way, I think are going to happen. I do think you can see a 10-year back down to three and a half, suggest a TLT probably going north of 110 or so. I think you play that from the long side. Yeah, maybe again, the knee jerk is higher stocks from the higher in the NASDAQ maybe outperforms the Dow, but 
it does not mean we're in some bullish environment at all. It suggests anything but that, in my opinion. Yeah, no, and this this tweet from Charlie Bolello, who's a good follow on the Twitter, the 16% decline over the last 26 months is now the largest and the longest drawdown in history for the U.S. bond market. And just look at that in the context mm -hmm. of, the, of the table that he has and the chart down there. It just shows that that is the massive bubble that has come unwound here. You've been calling for it for some time, you know, and I, I guess early is on time. Didn't your football coach used to say that to you, Guy? Well, um, yeah, no, you know, in my world, but you know, in our world, though, if you're early, and early in our world typically means you're wrong, right? I mean, yeah. but in your point about football and those types of things, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, don't bother. But I think Charlie brings up a good point. And you said it before the show today, the real bubble, really, if you want to look at it, not necessarily in stocks and valuations, which were rich, the real bubble has been in the bond market. And clearly, the air is being taken out of the sales there. Again, has to be done painful to go through it. And I've never suggested, and I'm not suggesting you suggested this, but it's not a liquidity concern in the bond market. It's yeah. not that at all. It's just the magnitude of these moves are astounding and something that historically doesn't move that way. Again, 38 basis point move in the 10-year yields in two trading days is pretty remarkable if you ask me. No doubt about it. You know who else is remarkable, guy? This oh, was a guy, I know. That, that I was know. a guy. That was a guy Adami segue right my there. Hand. Yeah, no, you know what? You can answer and you can actually make this segue here. How's that? Friggin' Carter Braxton Worth. That's who, man. There Sexy. Look at this. Got the sweater going on. Yeah. He's looking all autumnal. I mean, he's just everything about him exudes stud. You know, with greetings like this, you know, I don't get these anywhere else, so I'll just keep coming back. No, you don't, bud. All right, talk to us, Carter, a little bit. You heard us speaking about the move in stocks today. And again, one day does not make a move by any means. But, you know, the downward volatility that we've seen in the 10-year yield since it topped, uh, you know, just above 4% briefly last week. Talk to us about this dynamic and how you're thinking about it a little bit. I mean, look, I think that you had a lot of rubber bands and they were stretched in obviously different directions and there's been some snapping back, right? So yeah. yields stretch and they've come back. Dollar stretch, come back. Pounds stretch the other way and it's mm -hmm. bounced back. Stocks, gold and so forth. The real risk, right, of course, is that ultimately it's just that. That the bounce in stocks and other things is tentative day to day. After all, it is just one day. People were calling for a bounce three days ago. We ended on the low on Friday. It's it's more structural. The market is is burdened. It's damaged. Equity is an asset class. The burden of proof is on the bull, right? The bear doesn't have to point to any other than the facts. Look at the thing. And so I, I just remain in the camp that it's the, not a good risk-reward proposition. But just to address the strategist thing, because I, I did, my first job was reporting to a strategist at a bulge bracket firm. And we used to laugh internally about the whole thing about why is it that there's this convention that in the beginning of the year, you put forward a target 12 months hence. What if it was 13 months to a year? So then we'd have a 13-month target like a baker's dozen, meaning it's arbitrary. And then the best part is, do you know when you go to the casino and if that little ball is rolling slower and slower around, at some point they say, no more bets. Mm -hmm. You guys changing their price target now when you're coming? <laughs> thanks a lot. And Or the horse race, you know, their final stretch, oh, I think I want to change my pick. Hey, listen. You made your pick. It's not right. You don't change it. Should we change it on December 20th and talk about a year-end price? It's nonsense. And it's not their fault, but they're sitting there in these groups. They were big teams. And we were like, wow, we're way below. We're way above. We better adjust it. Why? Just, you're wrong. It's wrong. We're all wrong. We get it wrong. You have to constantly keep playing with the number. It's silly. 
Agreed. And and I guess the one thing I would say, and you know, we have a lot of these strategists come on Fast Money. We talk to a lot of them on our podcast. It really depends why they're changing their tune, what I find mm-hmm. most interesting. You know, so to me, I think of like all of these strategists, all these analysts, I think of it as a bit of a mosaic. And I like to hear from people that I respect, even though that I disagree with. And sometimes they'll kind of come up with a reason why they're doing something that might be silly from a timing standpoint that might cause me to rethink something that I've thought about. You know what I mean? So to me, yeah. I, I routinely like to challenge. We have four my, now, right? Goldman, JP Morgan, yeah. Credit Suisse, and City. Yeah. And I guess the point is, if you're watching Market Call, we've been saying that until we see that sort of capitulation, I can't start to put together a framework of that the market capitulated, mm-hmm. right? Or the different and, sorts of- And at the of, analyst level, right? Analysts got to right. start lowering their price targets, their earnings estimates. And then you can, have ex- you can expunge the euphoria. It's still yeah. there, though. So Carter, you heard us talking about the moving rates here. And I do think it's interesting that one of the best performing sectors today is the home builders. We know that, you know, Fed funds, you know, over 3%, 10 year got over 4%. We saw the the 30 year mortgage get over 7%, nearly more than doubling, you know, from a year ago level. Talk to us a little bit. Here's this kind of one year chart. I didn't put any, char- I didn't put any lines on it. Just, you see that like downward sloping 200 day here. What would it take for a real rally to materialize in this very rate sense? sensitive group like is there a level on the 10 year or is there something is again i mean we know in the xhb there's a lot of things that aren't just home builders talk to us about this and i have a five-year chart maybe they can throw that up there and if you look at that support level where we bounced earlier this year is that a significant line well i think the important thing is looking at the here and now chart that you have on the screen and we go back to that one is yeah. that the sequence is an overlay to the general equity market we know it peaks in the end of last year beginning of this year we know it bottoms there mid-June. We know it tops on the rally August 16th. But the one thing that's different is the market, S&P, NASDAQ 100, and many individual stocks are now two and below their June lows, whereas home builders are not. I don't like it as long, but that has to be noted, right? It is showing better day-to-day relative strength in the market. It's interesting. I look at this and I don't want to make it overly simplistic, but to me, you can actually play this space specifically. Listen, I know the XHB, to me, it's flawed, but look at names like DHI, Toll Brothers, Pulte Homes. If you think yields are going lower, which I do, I think you can play these trades, these stocks from the long side. Not having nothing to do with fundamentals, it's just the way they trade. If yields start to come in, they will bounce. So that's the way I look at it right here. And it makes sense. You know, maybe we trade back up to that moving average. But we talked about it earlier today on our special bonus pod that we dropped. But all the weekend, we heard news about systemic risk, banks, Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, all those different things, Carter. XLF, obviously, is something we need to speak about. You have banks upgrading and downgrading each other. It's always very interesting when that happens. What do you come away with, not necessarily with some of the rhetoric over the weekend, but the space in general? Right. So the space as an aggregate, right, is not complex, but unclear, right? You've got Berkshire in there. You've got property and casualty insurers, life health insurers, you got investment banks and brokers, we know this, you have asset managers, you have trust banks, you have regional banks, big money centers. And so in and of itself, I think the important thing is that it's, again, the same overlay, the same sequencing as the general equity market, right? Lows in June, rally in August, fail at trend, back to the lows, and now fighting. There is this I think thought out there, and it's perfectly valid, that somehow we're going to establish an important double bottom and bounce. I just don't see that when I go through hundreds and hundreds of chart patterns. 
Yeah, well, you did that this weekend, and it was a really good report on Worth Charting. I mean, you literally laid out a report with hundreds of charts, and you were trying to show just in all these different sectors, and you didn't even group them by sector. You did them alphabetically. I thought that was a really fascinating way to think about just kind of getting a sense for what's going on under the hood from purely a technical standpoint. And, you know, Guy, to your point about banks upgrading banks or downgrading banks, I mean, you know, we saw that for years after the financial crisis. And if you remember, remember it was Meredith Whitney who made that Mm -hmm. call on Citigroup, you know, that they're going to have to cut their dividend. And for all of us who were there in that moment, right, like that was like a seminal moment, right? And then all of the activity, the irony is that all of these banks, at least their, their strategists and the analysts who cover financial financial institutions were making all of these big moves, yet all of them were all rumored to be merging with each other or buying each other's assets. I mean, as the whole crisis went on and on and on, I'll just say this, my two cents on it is like, you know, the best case scenario, I think for the banks, and you said this guy, how well capitalized at least our US banks are right now would be further consolidation. Why do we have to wait until there's some form of a crisis? Because when a competitor takes out another competitor, they're going to cut costs, they're going to be come, I guess, a bit leaner and tighter and all that sort of stuff. So to me, I hope that comes out of it. And some of these banking institutions are a bit better. But to the point that Goldman, you know, upgraded Wells Fargo this morning, they're saying it's an underappreciated earnings growth story. We know that they've had some restrictions from the Fed guy on their, you know, buybacks and just cash return in general, and some of their cap levels and stuff like that, because of some of the scandals thoughts on Wells Fargo (laughs) here, because it has always traded rich to its money center peers. But, you know, right now, now it's really showing some good relative outperformance over the last, I don't know, call it 12 months or so. Yeah. Over the last few years, so many of the problems at Wells Fargo were Wells Fargo specific. But listen, I happen to like this one. I mean, relative strength, you're right. In terms of valuation, you can actually make somewhat of a compelling argument. They fall somewhere in between a Citibank on the lower end of the spectrum in terms of valuation, which is just absurd for a myriad of different reasons. And the flip side of it's sort of a Bank of America. And then you find sort of Wells Fargo in that I don't want to say no man's land, but I think Wells Fargo probably deserves this. So I actually admire the call. And I do think if we can get some sort of stable footing in the the short term, you know, you can get a tradable bounce. Again, to Carter's earlier point, though, none of these things look particularly good. So if you're really just waiting for the ultimate capitulation, if that's your end game, I don't think we've seen it yet. All right. Well, let's talk about that. You just used the word capitulation. And it's kind of interesting that, you know, we've been talking about energy and just kind of all the geopolitics and how it's affected supplies, obviously, of natural gas in Europe and what it's done to crude oil. And now we have the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline. We have China continued lockdown. I mean, the list goes on and on the strength of the dollar. So we had this kind of blow off mood moving crude. We've been talking about it. Carter, in many instances this year, you've talked about the relative strength of some of these underlying oil companies. And you you wanted to look at the XLE here. We know that Chevron, Exxon, Schlumberger make up a big part of this. Talk us about the moving crude today up 6%. We haven't even had the OPEC meeting. They're talking about cutting supply therefore you know the inverse relationship on the price here what are your thoughts in general about this snapback we're seeing in crude and how you're thinking about the xle yeah so the the lines sort of draw themselves and this is this is where it's not often we try to fit a line maybe to tell one's story make one's case but when you have five or six touch points the line is drawing itself Mm -hmm. and this is of course the entire s p 500 energy sector which while dominated by three or four names making up half the weight, it is still the sector that major asset managers 
must play chess against if they want to be overweight or underweight as it relates to their benchmark, the S&P. And what we know, news or not, one could say it was news, but it stopped at the trend line to the penny five sessions ago. Maybe in anticipation of the news that's now been revealed that they're possibly OPEC cuts, but either way, that's an uptrend and it's sold off to trend and it bounced to the penny at the trend line. OPEC in-person meeting, haven't seen that in a while. I, you know, Definitely cuts coming out. If the dollar starts to lose the momentum to the upside, so you take that headwind away, if China were to magically reopen, there's so many potential bullish catalysts for energy, for the commodity here. But even if it were just sort of flatlined for a while and stabilize, I think this space is worth a look. Carter draw the lines. I mean, but you talk about Exxon and Conoco, excuse me, Exxon and Chevron are 42%. You throw ConocoPhillips in almost 50% of this ETF, and each one of them are probably compelling on valuation. I think you trade it for the long side. And again, there are situations where you could see a quick spike to the upside in the underlying commodity, which would be supportive of these equities. So I love that line, and I think you trade it from the long side against it. Yeah, it's funny, you know, this kind of back and forth with crude when, you know, some of these electric vehicle stocks were, were far more immature and some are still very immature if you get my drift. But, mm. but what I'm saying is like one of the things that, you know, when crude oil was spiking, these stocks used to catch a bit a little bit and like the inverse was going on. Now, obviously, these guys, Tesla in particular, making a lot more stocks. But Tesla, you know, pretty fascinating on a day where the S&P, again, is up, you know, more than 2%. Tesla Tesla is down 8%. And the importance of that is not lost on any of us. This is one of the largest market cap companies in the S&P and the NASDAQ. It's got a $762 billion market cap. It's down 31 or so percent on the year, about 40% from its highs. And, you know, this is one that I have been short. It hasn't been fun by any means. And, you know, on Friday, they had their, like, AI day guy. I know you were tuned in at 8 p.m., Eastern time for that. I think it was very unimpressive. Elon Musk goes up on a stage. He talks about full self-driving and all the AI attributes of their stuff. And, you know, listen, investors are not buying it when you couple it with the fact that they missed deliveries over the weekend for September. So again, they have tons of reasons to blame for that. And you can look on, on street accounts. They have all the data there. But Carter, this is one that, again, you and I have been going back and forth on this one. Our friend Danny Moses from On The Tape has also been short. It's been a hard short, which is one of the reasons why I think the technicals are really important to help guide this strategy. They have been for me. Yeah. In fact, I tried to put something out earlier today that speaks to the break in trend, but that trend line that's being broken now, I thought that was going to happen in late June, early July. And indeed, instead of mm -hmm. breaking, it bounced to the penny and rallied about 37%. So the question is, is it now that it is breaking? Is it worse? The truth is the stock rallied a lot. Let's look at this chart, but pull it back. So that's a one-year chart. If we pull it back a bit further, that's a two-year chart. If we pull it back even further, that's going back to the lows when it was $11 in 2009. And then extend that line, final chart, it takes you all the way. You can say, is that an important trend line? It's got a lot of touch points. Is it breaking out of, to the downside out of this formation? It is. And we know it's a widely held name, just as Apple is, among others. And so there is this going on where people are probably banning some of the real holdouts. 
listen, I happen to think, I think Dan would agree that Tesla is important for a myriad of different reasons. But in my opinion, the most important reason, it speaks to market psychology, market sentiment, right? And where do people think? So if Tesla would give it up here, and again, you're talking about a stock here at 250, which is effectively a $750 stock for those that still live pre-split era. This stock is breaking down. I mean, we saw it, remember, Dan, it traded north of 1200 or so. And now here we are. I happen to think there's some more pain to the downside, which will probably, again, be a good thing. We'll flush some people out. And that's one of those, you know, Carter's been talking about it for a while. The generals are the last to go. Well, I would submit that Tesla might not be a five-star general like Apple, but it's certainly a two- or three-star general. And it's important, I think, to get this flush for the broader market. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more from the sentiment standpoint. Again, you know, we saw Apple last week break. That was one that was just kind of like, you know, kind of head scratching a little bit, the relative outperformance as the market was coming in. We know that a lot of flows go to that. We've covered it, how many ETFs and mutual funds are in there. But sooner or later, that one did break. And we're still waiting to see if some of the fundamental news kind of confirms that. One last thing I just want to kind of get to, because Guy, you alluded to this and we're talking about yields. And I really think that yields are probably the most important thing going on as it relates to stocks right here in the near term, especially before we get to earnings season. We're a month away from that Fed meeting. I said on Market Call last week and on Fast Money and our, probably our podcast, I think there's a really good chance late October we see a trial balloon floated that the Fed will kind of pull back a little bit after that November meeting. And again, maybe it's political. It's a week before the midterms. Who knows? But Carter, your take here, because Guy has said this on numerous occasions, that he could see the 210 spread keep winding out a little bit because the two stays bid but the 10 that's more reflective of potential growth that thing continues to come in thoughts here is there a level on the two-year treasury yield you know that when it broke out at three and a half percent you know about a month ago went straight you know to four and a quarter okay is there a level on the downside that would be you know really constructive for stocks if you think about it i mean to the point you started with i mean it is about the relationship between the front end of the curve and the long end of the curve. And the real risk for the whole scene is that actually long yields start collapsing and that the equities don't take that as a mm -hmm. relief. Right? That's been this, oh, rates are down, so therefore I can change my, my assumptions and my DCF and my three to five year growth rates and I can high, assign a higher multiple to Apple and Microsoft. But the real end game, if you will, and I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but I think it's the important point is that if and as we are going to a materially slowing period and or a proper recession, we have contracting output, not to mention earnings declining on a year-over-year -year basis, yields coming down in the 10-year and the stock market still going down, that gets serious. That's dicey. That's worst case scenario, I think. And listen, I don't, again, we're not always negative and always anything, but that's an environment where it's going to really get difficult to find the other end of that. And a lot of people have made that point. You're making it now. I think it's a good one. But just bear in mind, that scenario is there's a potential for that to happening, lower yields and a lower stock market. So we'll see what plays out. But that's probably for another market call, Dan, because as I look at my watch that I don't wear, by the way, we're out of time. That's today's market call. I want to thank Carter for joining us. Carter, we'll be back on Wednesday. He might join us before. Who knows? If things go crazy, we can always bring him in like a long relief pitcher. For you baseball fans out there and for you Met fans out there, 
tough weekend as we find we find our way to the last three games of year. You're staring a wild card right in the eye, but that's another conversation for another time. I want to thank FactSet. I want to thank Open Exchange for powering us. Dan and I will be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern. See you later.